0: This is the Business Extra Podcast. My name's Chris Nelson, and today I'm joined by the Nationals' Assistant Business Editor, Michael Fahey. Welcome, Michael.
1: Hey, Chris. How are you?
0: Very well. Thank you very much. Uh, Later on, Michael and I will have a chat with Nada Al-Sawi, the Nationals' personal finance correspondent, about a new startup called FlexPay based in Dubai um, that aims to bridge the gap uh, between payday and payday. But first, here are some of the stories that have made our pages this week. The Iranian tanker Grace One, at the heart of a month-long standoff that involved Iran, the UK and US, weighed anchor, leaving markets to wonder, where 2.1 million barrels of sanctioned oil is likely headed. The vessel swapped its Panamanian flag for an Iranian one, and was renamed Adrian Daria One, prior to its release by Gibraltar, in whose waters it was seized in July by the UK's Royal Marines, for carrying crude to Syria. The ship is apparently currently heading to the southern Greek city of Kalamata which has no oil infrastructure or facilities to handle a very large crude carrier such as the Grace One.
1: The amount of debt issued in the Arabian Gulf by governments and corporations in the second quarter of 2019 hit a record $40 billion in the three months to June, breaking a previous record of $32 billion set in the first quarter, according to a new report by National Bank of Kuwait. About two-thirds of the debt issued during the quarter came from Saudi Arabia including $12 billion from Saudi Aramco's first bond issue. 82% of the total was issued by government entities.
0: Jewelers in India, the top consumer after China of gold, are facing a bleak outlook as record high prices and fading demand threaten to drag annual gold sales to the lowest in three years. With demand growing at 9% during the January to June period, jewelers were expecting consumption to increase after a subdued couple of years. Those hopes are evaporating though after high taxes, record prices and a slowing economic growth, poised to see the full-year demand at par with 2016 when consumption of gold slumped to a seven-year low of 666 tonnes.
1: The imminent overhaul of global ship fuel regulations is finally delivering a long-awaited benefit to Asian oil refiners. Profits from turning crude into diesel in the second half of 2019 are forecast to be about 31% higher than in the first six months, according to Goldman Sachs. Margins have already expanded around 40% since late April, as International Maritime Organization rules that prohibit ships from using dirty fuel from January 1st are set to bolster diesel demand while cutting fuel oil use.
0: UAE flag carrier Etihad Airways emerged as the most punctual airline in the Middle East for the first seven months of 2019. The carrier's punctuality averaged more than 80% for flights during this period according to figures from the aviation data company OAG. Globally, the Abu Dhabi airline was ranked 24th for its rate of on-time arrivals and departures in the month of July, which is the peak air travel season in the Middle East.
1: The number of international overnight visitors to Dubai increased by 3% in the first half of 2019 to 8.36 million, according to new figures from the Emirates Department of Tourism and Commerce Marketing, better known as Dubai Tourism. numbers were boosted by an 11% year-on-year increase in visitors from China to just over half a million. Visitor numbers from Oman also saw a spike, 28% year-on-year to 499,000. And the number of tourists arriving from the Philippines also grew 29% to 216,000.
0: The construction industry in the UAE is expected to grow 6-10% in 2020, according to the majority of industry executives surveyed by KPMG. Some 53% of executives forecast growth of 6-10% to 10% in the next year and a further 20% expect the market to grow by more than 10% according to KPMG.
1: Two major new solar operations in Egypt with 130 megawatt peak capacity have begun commercial operations. The plants are based at Benban, Komosbo, in Egypt's Aswan province, 830 kilometres south of Cairo, and will produce enough energy to power 140,000 homes. Plants have been developed, financed, built, and are owned by a joint venture between Egypt's El Sawedi Electric and EDF Renewables, which is the renewable energy arm of French utilities giant Electricité de France.
0: The U.S. will delay for 90 days restrictions the Trump administration has imposed on some business operations of China's Huawei Technologies, Commerce Secretary Wilbur Ross said. Some telecom companies in the U.S. are dependent on Huawei and thus a 90-day reprieve was deemed appropriate, Mr. Ross said. We're giving them a little more time to wean themselves off, he added. Mr. Ross said the next deadline will be around November the 19th.
1: And finally, Segway Ninebot Group, a Beijing-based electric scooter maker, unveiled a scooter that can return itself to charging stations without a driver, a potential boon for the burgeoning scooter-sharing industry. Ninebot said Uber and Lyft, the ride-hailing giants that are expanding into scooter-sharing, would be among the customers for the new semi-autonomous vehicles that are expected to hit roads early next year.
0: Over the past several years in North America, fintech startups like FlexWedge, DailyPay, PayActive, etc., uh, have sprung up to tackle the same problem. The majority of workers are barely able to cover their expenses in between paychecks. Um, recently, a company called FlexPay uh, started doing the same in the UAE. And with us to talk about this um, is our the Nationals' personal finance correspondent, Nada Al-Sawi. Welcome, Nada. Thank you. Um, first, I wonder, can you just give us an outline of, what, you know, what does the company uh, actually do? It started recently. When when did it begin and, and what's it offering?
2: Sure. Uh, so FlexPay uh, started, uh, they started by raising money in uh, December. They closed that funding and then um, in June started signing up companies. So uh, what essentially does is it allows employees to get part of their f- – Already earned salary. Uh, that's important to note that it's the salary they've already earned, not in advance as such. And um, that is through this app uh, with the uh, with the support of the employer, so they can access half of their salary mm-hmm. for uh, for a fee of around 25 dirhams.
0: And that's per per advance.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And they can only access up to uh, five hundred dollars, which is eighteen hundred Um
0: And, and what, what's the goal? What's their primary goal? Do you think?
2: So the goal is to 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 alleviate financial stress because there are, are a lot of workers who do live payday to payday, meaning they really rely on that paycheck. They don't have you know additional savings. They might be supporting families back home, that's very common in the UAE, uh, and they might run into emergencies where they just need a little bit of extra cash. So this is a way to get that cash without going through you know, very expensive loans, going through the bank, getting into debt, which is a big problem uh, here in the UAE.
0: Mm-hmm. So as I understand it, the way FlexPay works is, is that companies sign up to the platform um, at no cost, uh, and then... Mm-hmm. The employees can request that from, from companies. Uh, uh, what what um, kind of response has FlexPay had so far, do you think?
2: So a few companies have uh, signed up, including uh, Fetcher, which is a startup. And, and what have, what they have commented is, you know, this is just a, an additional way to offer flexibility for em- our employees. Um, and it's, a, it's no cost to the employer. So the fee is paid by the employee. Companies can choose to subsidize that um, that amount if they if they choose. But Fetcher, for example, has rolled it out to around 200 of its employees, and they said that it they've had a positive response so far.
1: I know it's Mike. Um, I found this very interesting, uh, particularly because of the the debt panel that we run and uh, Mm -hmm. the struggles that a lot of people have here with personal finances. But I understand that um, the founder, Mr. Truchler, is that his name? Uh, Michael Truchler, yes. Yeah, that this isn't his first business. Could you tell us a little bit about him? And did he tell you uh, about his inspiration for the idea?
2: Mm -hmm. Uh, Sure. So there are two co-founders, Michael Truchler and and Charbel Nuss, and they had – worked together in another startup called Citrus TV, a, a regional shopping channel, which they sold. Um, so I, I think they, this appealed, he did work in banking before, but uh, this appealed to him uh, because it, you know, he saw that this was a problem. Um, they, they, they had heard about these same uh, models in the U.S. and U.K., but it hadn't come to the the region at all, um, so this was and this was something that uh, could easily, you know, be solved through technology. Uh, Sharbal Nasr is the chief technology officer, so that was kind of his background. So they came together to and you know combine their expertise to to bring this to the region, and they do plan on going to um, Saudi later this year as well.
1: And when you mentioned that. Um this is a technology play. I think they were pretty clear that they, they are not the people making the loans here, are they? So could right. you just explain a little bit more about how that process works?
2: Yeah, so they're not dealing with the money at all. So it's, it, goes through, um, it goes through a, a bank, uh, the employer is the one who uh, approves it or, or doesn't approve it. They're simply providing that platform and they just get that, that fee. Uh it is, however, you know, it's, it remains to be seen whether this can be successful because they rely only on that fee. So it really is a numbers game. They're going to have to get a lot of they're going to have to sign up a lot of companies and a lot of clients. Um, that is the case in the, the U.S. where, you know, some of the more well-known uh, apps have signed up Walmart or, or other big companies which have you know, hundreds or thousands of employees. So then it, it makes sense, and they're able to offer that at a low cost.
0: Do you think, um, talking about the differences between uh, the U.S. and here, and, and to a certain extent Europe as well, the fact that here and in Europe it's usual for employees to be paid once a month, whereas in the mm-hmm. States very often it's, they're paid twice a month. Do you think that uh, affects the model in any way, or, or um, does does it just mean that because you get paid every two weeks, it means you run out after yeah. sort of a week and a half instead of three and a half weeks?
2: Well, I mean, if anything, I think it would make it more needed here when it's on a monthly basis rather than uh, every two weeks. Uh, but even some of these apps are paid by the day. You know, there are, for example, Uber drivers or people who are working on it hourly basis and they want to get paid right away so some of these apps offer that Um, but here it definitely um, is is a good thing you know to to be able to access it between uh, between paychecks when it is a month long Um, there are banks that offer salary advances but at a very high cost Um, you can get more of your salary you can probably get you know 90 percent of your salary but uh, just to give one example of a UAE bank that has this salary in advance um, offer, if, if you want to access between 1,000 and 13,000 dirhams, you're going to have to pay a processing fee of 300 dirhams. So as um, the FlexPay founder said, that's about, you know, 10 times the, the processing fee you would pay with uh, FlexPay.
1: And on that basis, I mean, so many of the stories that are in, in the debt panel explain that people usually have to get into trouble because they have to cover for an emergency, whether it's a flight home or a family illness. Um, how right. do you think this could help in that scenario?
2: Mm-hmm. I, I think, uh, you know, it can help if people use it truly in emergency cases to cover a shortfall, you know where it's where it's a one-off thing where they think, okay, I, I really need a thousand dirhams to you know uh, send back home or, or visit the hospital, get a new car battery. But if this is something they're going to do every month, it, you know it's it's an essentially kind of falling back on that uh, you know reliance on on debt in a way. Uh, it's kind of a new new type where you, you're just paying a small fee, but. Nevertheless, you know it's not something to rely on.
0: So those are some of the um, benefits for for the people who use it. Obviously, um,
2: mm-hmm.
0: ultimately, how are companies going to benefit by using it?
2: Yes. Uh, so what um, what they hope is that employers will see the benefit in terms of retaining employees and uh, removing that financial stress from employees, um, and and the other. Apps in the US and the UK have seen that through research. For example, daily pay science found that people are nearly two times more likely to apply for a job that pays daily. Um, nearly three quarters of its users say they're motivated to come to work. And then companies have seen uh, a f- about a 40% reduction in turnover for those user- users. So uh, those are all positive uh, impacts.
0: Mm-hmm. And I believe FlexPay is, is looking to offer um, other financial wellness tools uh, on the platform, such as what, what, what kind of things is it looking
2: at? Yeah, so they want to uh, encourage employees to save. So they want to put uh, some savings goals, uh, and they're doing it in a way that it says, you know, I want to save uh, an hour of my time. Um, so it's just purely kind of a motiv- psychologically motivating. Okay, I've saved it. an an hour's worth of my, uh, you know, salary today. Um, And they're also developing a payroll solution, cloud-based payroll solution for a company. So they're adding on additional services. Mm
0: -hmm. And uh, the startup's currently got four people based in Dubai, uh, but it also has a a technology support team of 12 in Serbia. Mm -hmm. Did the founders give uh, any inclination, you know, any reasoning behind uh, why that's the case?
2: Yes, I did ask about that, and they just said, well, we found the talent, and it was cheap. So mm-hmm. that's what they went for. <laughs> yeah.
0: And I guess as far as their uh, expansion uh, is, as, as one of them said, in terms of geography, we have no limits.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Well, there we go. Right. Um, thank you very much, Nada, for that. That was a fascinating uh, look at uh, FlexPay and uh, what it offers in this country.
2: Great. Well, thank you very much.
0: And Mike, one of the uh, most unusual stories we've covered in a while uh, came about in the past few days, um, surrounding a classic car auction in Monterey in California. Um, Tell us briefly what it was about.
1: Yeah, I really like this. Uh, I like the idea that one of the world's biggest auctioneers could maybe just get this all wrong, really.
0: Yeah, it was R.M. Sotheby's um, biggest classic car sale of the year, um, and the star of the show was a 1939 Type 64 Porsche. Although you, some would have Porsche in inverted commas there, which we'll get to a bit later. But uh, the the problem that happened was um, the MC opened it by opened the auction uh, by saying, "This is the only surviving example personally driven by Ferdinand Porsche." Correct. Uh, and then he announced that the bidding would open at 30 million. However, it was expected to sell in the catalogue at 20 million. So he said bidding would open at 30, a figure that was written on the front of the media screen at the auction, uh, and half the crowd were, you know, amazed, and half the other half cheered. Yeah. Uh, and then, after rapid bidding, it went up to 70 million. Uh, apparently, with the crowd on its feet, iPhones raised and cheering. And then the auctioneer announced that he had meant to say not 30 million. 13 million, and not 70 million, but 17 million. And the screen was quickly changed, leading to boos and shouts all round.
1: Yeah, I can imagine. I've uh, not been to many auctions in my time, but uh, when you have the... The star of the show here, this this beautiful looking... Well, beautiful, that's in the eye of the beholder, actually. Fair enough. It's exceedingly ugly, in my opinion. Fair enough. It's a very distinctive car. It is. Yeah. And as you mentioned, uh, Porsche, in inverted commas, Ferdinand Porsche definitely did drive this and he created Made it. it. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Even stuck his name on the front.
1: Yeah, indeed. Uh so with a, a twenty million min, minimum bid for it to start, fifty percent above that, mm. you could understand why there was so much excitement, yeah. anticipation in the room, and then to suddenly jump to seventy as well—it's yeah. it's no wonder it caused such a.
0: Yeah, who are? It was yeah. It must have been amazing scenes there, and uh, but for, for for the MC, it must have been excruciating to have to then point out he didn't say thirty, he said thirteen, and he didn't say seventy, he said seventeen. Um, and you can understand the crowd being, you know, at what is the biggest classic car sale for RM Sotheby's of the year, and it's looked forward to for months and months in advance. You can understand that the crowd and, and observers were not particularly uh, chuffed with that kind of mistake.
1: Yeah, because the people in that room are not; um, they are there as aficionados as much as as much as investors. So there, there may not have been many people who would have been looking to to buy this, but they would certainly all have been interested. In the vehicle and in its history and its past and <laughs> in the way uh, that this would be received, they all had an interest in seeing it uh, maybe go for a record price. Yeah,
0: absolutely. Um, the, probably, I would imagine a lot of the people there had have their own you know, highly sought after classic cars, and as you say, to see it open at fifty percent above its asking price, they must have been all thinking, "Wow, this is just fantastic!" I'm going to sell the Fiat or whatever it is that they've got. You know. Um, so, it, what
1: did uh, how, how did RM Sotheby's react to this? What, what did they say about the
0: nothing? <laughs> really? Absolutely nothing. Yeah. The the bidding apparently they received they did receive a bid of seventeen million, which meant that they didn't sell the car because it was, I presume, reserved at twenty million um and uh when approached for comment um nobody at the auction was prepared to say anything um and indeed i think the following day the following days uh the car was still uh, on the website as for sale so um it, it presumably didn't go um but it's an interesting one because it, it also had car aficionados as you say were obviously there um questioning whether it was a Porsche or not, um, given that, yes, it was built by Ferdinand Porsche. And some of the styling cues kind of hark to, you know, the, the, the 911 and, and, and such. But it was made 10 years before Porsche was launched as a company. Um, and it used primarily parts from VW and, and other makers. Um, and, and Porsche Ferdinand Porsche at that time was making cars for everybody. Yeah. You know, for Daimler, for 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 everybody who was uh, who was involved in it.
1: So it's kind of like a franken Porsche with bits
0: <laughs> of indeed. all kinds of ever. A other. Porsche, absolutely. And well, it just remains for me to say thanks very much to Michael Fahy. Thanks, Chris. And also to Anada Al-Sawi, our personal finance uh, correspondent, and uh, we will see how FlexPay goes. And, of course, many thanks to our producer today, Arthur Edison. Do please subscribe, and if you're a fan of the podcast, please do leave us a nice review. It's always good to hear. My name's Chris Nelson. This is the Business Extra podcast. Please join us again next week.